Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth from Madrona Financial and CPAs, where we give you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and comprehensive planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions. But the solid advice comes from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear it. Hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Brian, the calendar is flipped over to December, and we just have about, oh, I'm going to say almost a month left. And my, how time flies when you're having fun. It's hard to believe we began this radio show, Brian, back in about 2015. Did you ever think that the calendar would turn to 2023? We'd still be doing it? <laughs> no, I really didn't. I didn't know what to expect from doing a radio show. I'd never trained in doing radio. I'd never <laughs> you know, done anything like this before. And it was quite daunting to me. I remember when I did my first ones. Yeah. Hopefully nobody saved them because those shows were not very good. <laughs> I was trying to do it by myself. I didn't have you for a while uh, when I first started, and it was a real struggle. And yeah. I'd spent all this time prepping, all these notes, and I, I was probably reading my notes, which is really bad radio. So that was kind of how I started. And then, of course, you and I met. And then, okay, now we got something going here. Yeah. This, this format works out great. Well, there was an evolution, I think, as far as uh, you go and as far as the program has gone, too. I mean, when you think about the topics that we discussed back in 2015 versus what we discussed today, it's a world of difference. And there's been a great evolution with Madrona Financial and CPAs, too. I mean, there are uh, so many new tools that you use and, you know, so many more things that you have to offer. It really is rewarding to be a part of that. And, of course, I want to thank you for the past eight years. And certainly I want to thank our listeners for joining us every weekend here for Growing Your Wealth. So, Brian, on today's show, I want to talk about a couple of things. I made some notes here, and among them, the 2025 tax sunset. I mean, that's going to be about two years from now, two and a half years from now. We'll also talk about a couple of situations that came up in client meetings this past week that our listeners might relate to. But I want to start off with a question that a lot of people have. You know, they get a little older. They've had a house that they've lived in for 25, 30 years. They come to the decision that they really want to change houses for one reason or another. Then comes the big decision should we sell this house or should we rent our principal residence? So let's start there, Brian. What are some of the reasons that you would want to uh, do one or the other? Yeah, I did want to talk about this and I want to talk about a couple of client meetings I had. What's been interesting is as we're approaching year end, uh, I'm getting tons of tax questions now. I think it's interesting that financial planning almost seems seasonal. We know that there's certain months of the year where a lot of people have a lot of questions and we're kind of entering that phase. And uh, we were just talking about the radio show and doing that all these years. I would like to say that I think I've become a lot better advisor because I have to do the show every week or get to (laughs) do it every week. It keeps me sharp. I got to keep exploring everything in my industry because I want to talk about it. I have to know about it to talk about it. So I think it's made me a better advisor. 
Budweiser, I, I know it has, has made our firm better because, you know, your head's in it all the time. I'm, I'm not out golfing and schmoozing people. I'm, I'm studying mm-hmm. things so I can talk with you on the radio about it so people <laughs> yeah. want to tune in and find it interesting and informative. So that's a good uh, side benefit. But here is a question that comes up all the time. And generally speaking, most people that I talk to tend to maybe get it wrong. They don't think it through. And so I want to talk about it, and that's moving out of your residence and buying a a different house. Most people that I talk to, a lot of them, the ones that don't need the money to buy the new house. I'm going to backtrack. Most people that are buying a new house and buying up, they got to sell their house and take those proceeds and put them into the new house. But for those that don't need to do that, a lot of them decide, wow, I like my house that I'm moving out of. I just don't like it as much as the one I'm buying. And I want to keep it as an investment. I think it'd be a good investment. And that may be true. But if you move out of your house for three years, three years in a day, and rent it out, it is no longer considered your primary residence for income tax purposes. You might be walking away at a married couple from a $500,000 exclusion of gain and a single person $250,000 exclusion of gain. Now, we've had a lot of gains on a lot of housing. A lot of people have a lot of gains embedded in their houses. And so when you're thinking about that, I've talked to people and they say, yeah, I'm going to rent it out for three or four years and then probably sell it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa, back the truck up here. Let's talk about this. Because if you have a half a million dollar gain and your tax rate's going to be 23.8% on that, you're going to volunteer, you know, roughly $125,000 in income tax for the sale of your house. And when they hear this, they go, wait a second, I'd lose $125,000? I'm like, yes. They go, huh, maybe I don't want to rent it out for three to four years. I'm like, I don't think you do. I think you want to sell it and claim the exclusion. And if you really love the house, you know, buying houses, then go buy a house. But take the exclusion and sell your residence. Unless you're just going to keep it for, you know, 20 years or something, then that's a whole different discussion. But, you know, that this is something that I get asked over and over. And I would imagine, too, that the state of the real estate market has something to do with this as well, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and some people might decide, well, I want to rent it out for a year until prices recover or mm-hmm. X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And that's fine to do. But have a plan. If you're going to rent it out, think about making sure you have plenty of time to sell it to claim the exclusion or have a plan to just keep it indefinitely and not take the exclusion because you just feel like there's such a good opportunity for gains on that particular house more than any other house out there that you want to hang on to it for that longer period of time. So, Brian, beyond the tax implications, there are also a lot of other things that you want to consider if you're thinking about renting your house out, not the least of which is that you could get some bad renters in there who could destroy your house. I think you've had a situation similar to that back when you were owning rental properties. Yeah, that's true. You are taking some risks there. A lot of people, you know, they think, well, I'm going to have my house and I'm going to get renters and I'll make 3000 a month or whatever it is. And they forget people don't take care of houses as well as you would when you mm-hmm. were there. And you might find that, yeah, I got $36,000 of rent in a year, and then I had to put 25000 into it to repair yeah. it. I really didn't come out ahead because I had property taxes and insurance, hey, if the rest of it. I held this house, and I didn't come out ahead. Or what some people do is they might say, well, my, we're moving out of the house, and our kids are going to move into it, and they're going to rent it. And that's another one where you go, huh. All right, if they're there three years, again, you lost your exclusion. So make sure that that plan makes sense. It might make more sense to sell the house, buy a different house with a new higher cost basis. 
and let them stay in that house or whatever. And every situation is different. And some people have an emotional attachment to houses. Right. And so they might want to keep it. Well, that sounds great, Brian, but it's worth it to me to pay that tax someday because I don't want to sell my house that I grew up in. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's fine. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. I just wanted to point out that when you're selling your residence and you're thinking about keeping it, have a plan. Uh, Make sure you're keeping it for the right reasons and not that the reason that, oh, gee, I didn't know the rules. And had I known them, I would have done something different. Brian, beyond people having a personal investment into the house, a personal attachment into the house as far as the dollars and cents go, you mentioned the fact that somebody may rent a house out for $3,000 a month, $36,000 a year. But again, I want you to reiterate or explain again that you're not really making that much profit when you consider all the other expenses. And I'm sure that you've had clients that you pointed out to, look, you're really not making anything by renting this house out. Yeah, I know when I when I was trying to do rental houses way back when, I'm not very handy as we've talked about on the show. I'm not very good with tools. And so I had to hire things out. And I had tenants that wouldn't take care of the place. And they were always calling something needed repaired. And the houses were older. So there's a lot of deferred maintenance. And, you know, I'd buy a house. I'd get it all nice fixed up, move someone in. And I remember going once to a house. They were getting ready to move out. They'd been there a year. Mm-hmm. And they didn't own a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they had dogs. <laughs> and I was, and they had kids. And I'm walking across the floor. It's amazing. Crunch, crunch, crunch. I mean, <laughs> oh, how do you live like this? <laughs> yeah. The carpet was ruined. The walls had to be painted, of course. You know, I, again, all, all the rents I received during the year just went to make it look like it was when I moved them in. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why am I even doing this? I'm having people live in my houses for free, essentially, <laughs> because I'm ending up having to pay all of the rental income that I'm making. Now, that's not the case for everybody. There are good tenants out there. There are people that take care of them. I just wasn't able to find them for me. Yeah, <laughs> <'Cause> right. <laughs> I had four houses and, and four terrible tenants, and I was bad at screening or something. You know, owning rental houses is a business. Yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah, some people are good at that business, and some mm-hmm. people are not good at that business. I'm in the category of not good in that business. So I much prefer, if I had it available at the time, I would have sold them to a 1031 exchange into a Delaware statutory trust, and I wouldn't have to worry about a tenant call ever again. Mm -hmm. But they weren't available back when I uh, sold those houses. And I remember, too, that you had some tenants who didn't understand the concept of a shower door or a shower curtain, too. Mm, That was, yeah. (laughs) Bathroom Uh, floor. floor? (laughs) It's it's, it's (laughs) sinking, and and, uh, your foot, uh, it's all mushy. Well, when you walk Why? across the floor and you hear squish, 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 and there's water coming up, you know you got a problem Where's there. Where's your shower curtain? Oh, <laughs> we don't have one. Well, really? Mm. Okay. That could explain why this floor is so mushy, huh? Yeah. yeah. And the security deposit that you charge them many times is not enough to cover that sort of damage and try getting, uh, you know, that money back for the damage, too. It's almost an impossible task. We're not saying that people should not consider renting out a house, but they should be going into this with their eyes wide open. Brian, do you find often or uh, tell me how often it is that people sell a house and the money that they make from selling that house in terms of the profit is actually uh, better invested in terms of making more money than if they'd rented out the house? Yeah, I'm running into that a lot. And the way I determine that, because most people that have real estate rentals, kind of overestimate how much their net profit is yeah. because I'll ask them and they'll say, oh, I make you know 36000 a year on it or whatever. I'm like, well, do you? Oh, well, yeah, you're right. I had some repairs. I have them every year because it's an older house and da-da-da. And then, 
What I do is I, I look at their tax return, their Schedule E, and we look at the bottom line, add back depreciation, and say, well, this is how much you're, you're making each year. And they, they're often very surprised to go, huh, that's like nothing. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, after repairs and, and, and so forth, property taxes, insurance, and everything else, you're not making anything. Or you're making 1% of the value or, or mm-hmm. whatever. And they go, huh, I bet I can do better than that if I sell it and put it into one of your DSTs. I'm like, well, <laughs> it's something we could look into. But, you know, and there's other people. I look at their tax return. And they'll come to me and they go, yeah, I want to do one of your DSTs. I go, well, let's look at your cash flow. And I look at it and go, well, wait a second, <laughs> you're doing quite well. Uh, don't sell this property. You can't get that out in the commercial world. You're, you're way above market. And mm-hmm. so they'll go, oh, so you tell me not to do a DST? And that's exactly what I'm telling you. So it can go either way. But again, it's all about just doing your homework, having the information, making good decisions with that, knowing what to look at, knowing what questions to ask, knowing what the tax rules are. And that's what I'm recommending here. I'm not making any specific recommendations, obviously. Every situation is different. But if you have the information, you can generally make better decisions. Should you sell your residence or rent it out? Well, I think that the definitive answer is always, it depends. If you want to know, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, there is no hard and set answer for that. It's always, it depends. It is uh, one of the things, certainly, that you can get some help with at Madrona Financial and CBAs. Our program is called Growing You Well. Thanks for joining us here this weekend. And once again, if you're wondering how deep your financial roots are, you want to prepare for financial storms that are already here, Go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button to check how deep your roots are. It'll just take a couple of minutes, and you can schedule a call with an advisor. If your roots are not deep enough, they'll help you deepen those roots. Once again, no cost, no obligation. Madrona Financial, and click on the Get Started button. Growing Your Wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we'll be talking about a situation that came up this last week with a client. And Brian, I know that you share client stories on the air many, many times without the names, of course. And this is an interesting one because uh, this client is currently on Medicare, but is also getting an inheritance. And that possibly could affect he or she's Medicare premiums. Is that right? Yeah. So I want to talk about that because sometimes people are surprised when they find out that their Social Security costs, the Medicare premiums, got jacked up for a whole year and went way up. And they're going, wait a second here. I'm losing a a lot of my benefits here. For why? Mm -hmm. And well, because your income's high in a given year. But I'm retired. Well, you sold a rental house or, you know, something happened. And so here was a situation where they weren't even a client yet. They were a prospect. And, and they called and said, yeah, I, I got an inheritance. And I was surprised to find out that my Medicare premium went way up. And what's wrong with this picture? And so immediately had a lot of questions uh, related to that. Because the rules on inheritance, just to, to go over these for everybody's sake here, is generally when you inherit assets, there is no tax for you to pay. So not only that, but many inherited assets get the step up in basis. So if you inherit a a house that's gone way up in value and you sell that house, well, you had a step up in basis upon the inheritance. And so there wouldn't be any gain to pay even when you sell that house. So that wouldn't go on your tax return. Inheritances don't go on your tax return. 
unless there are certain kinds. And so the assets that do not get a step up are retirement accounts, do not get a step up, installment notes, where maybe somebody sold a house and they were getting monthly checks from somebody. There's no step up on the capital gain portion of that. And annuities, annuities do not get a step up. Now, life insurance is tax-free, but annuities, any embedded gains in those, any deferred gains, do not get a step up. So the situation can be where you inherit some assets, and let's say you inherit a retirement account, and you cash it all in in one year. You might be putting yourself in a high bracket. That bracket not only will make your income taxes pretty high, but it can also affect your Medicare tax. So in that situation, I'd say don't liquidate that retirement account all in one year. If it's a large sum, take it over a number of years to spread that out. So, Brian, what you're saying is if you have higher income, and in this case, you were talking about the inheritance there, that you're going to be paying an additional premium amount for Medicare Part B and Medicare prescription drug coverage. Let's talk about how annuities play into this. Yeah, there's another one. Some annuities, when you pass, they're aware of this, and they will actually pay out over a number of years, say five different years, to spread out the taxable income. Because again, the, any gains embedded in a non-qualified annuity are going to be taxed uh, when you take that money out of the annuity. And so if you have the opportunity to maybe spread it out, you might want to do that. You know, And there's other implications that can happen too. I, I, I mentioned the retirement accounts and having a plan for that having a plan for any annuity money so that you don't put yourself into those higher brackets. Now, sometimes when you put yourself in a higher bracket and you have a sale of a, let's say, a a condo or something that has a big gain in it, depending on where the condo is, you might have state income tax implications. You might have the 20% capital gains rate or 23.8 with the Medicare premium adjustment that is in the law too. So a lot of people think, well, my capital gains, if I sell it, is going to be at 15%. I'm like, well, no, let's say I I just ran into a situation. This person had a condo in Arizona and uh, it wasn't her principal residence. And so we were not looking at 15. We were looking at 20. We were looking at 23.8. We were looking at another, I think, 4.5% for Arizona. So we were getting pretty close to 30%. (laughs) The whole time, I thought capital gains were 15. Well, they are at certain levels. And so now we're talking uh, 1031 exchanges, DSTs, potentially to put that off in that case. But I think my point here would be, you know, in in this example that this person had, they inherited money and they said their their Medicare went way up. And I was like, well, what did you inherit? And it turned out to be an annuity that got cashed out uh, before Mm. they were introduced to us. And so we weren't able to do any planning around that. And I wish we could have had you know time to do that. Once you've cashed it out, you've cashed it out. You can't go backwards in time. And so they just have a full year of very, very high Medicare uh, premiums. So, Brian, that's what happens if you have more income. As you said, it does affect your Medicare premiums. But what about the other way? What if somehow we've been able to reduce our taxable income? Do our Medicare premiums go down? Well, yeah. I mean, in this case, uh, that's a one-time event, the inheritance of the annuity, cashing it out and so forth. And so because it's a one-time event, that following year, well, the year following the event is when the, the Medicare premium goes way up. And then the year following that, it should go back down. So it's not a permanent thing like that. But, uh, you know, I've had uh, people that are on, you know, living on their Social Security and sell a rental house and pay off their mortgage with the money, and then all of a sudden, oops, 
half their Social Security is going away because the Medicare, you know, premium went way up or close to half. And so that's really kind of devastating on, but that's just for 12 months. So there's at least take some consolation in that. So Brian, let's say that someone has this situation. They come to you or one of the advisors at Madrona Financial and CPAs. What are some of the ways that you can mitigate having to pay these higher Medicare premiums? Yeah, it's, it's all about planning. And I don't think you can really do this well without sitting in front of a tax program, you know, or having somebody do that for you, of course, and doing the what if scenarios. Because there's too many moving parts in the tax law. Too many things affect other things, and you, you can't carry that computer around in your head <laughs> to compute that stuff. And so you you got to have the proper tax program. So when I have that situation, or one of the advisors here has that situation, the first thing we do is, can we see a copy of your tax return? Can we start working on your current year estimate? Now let's start plugging in, in some what-if scenarios. What if you cash in your annuity or your IRAs or whatever? What if you spread them out? What can we do here? So tax planning is really about, I'm going to try and explain a visual on radio, which may, may be tough. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, if we lined up some buckets right. and we had a, a one bucket said 10%, one 15 and one 20 and 25 and 30, 35 and 40. Okay. So you have all these buckets. The goal of tax planning is to move the money from those high buckets into the lower buckets. We want those lower buckets filled completely. We want to pay it 10%. We want to pay it 15% fully. If we have that much income, the, the buckets, uh, I'm filling them with income is what I'm in my analogy. And I want to pour them out of those, those high buckets because, you know, you have different years. And if you have some ability to take gains in certain years and not in others, then this is a multi-year strategy. And we don't want to load up one year and fill up all the buckets in one year and have the next year have them be dry. We want to spread that out. And so that is possible with proper planning. That's absolutely possible to do. But you can't really do it without a tax program. You can't just sit there and go, oh, yeah, I'll just compute this all in my head. I'm going to figure out what my capital gains is, whether Medicare 3.8 add-on is added on, how that affects Medicare. You just you just can't. So what we do here is we often get copies of tax returns. Again, we'll, we'll do what-if scenarios. We can plan around creating a situation where we're maximizing the utilization of the lowest brackets over the course of a number of years. So correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but what you're saying is that with some income, not all the income, you can move it or what you're calling level loading it from one year to another, but it's not something you can do with your regular W-2 income. It's got to be investment income or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly right. There, there's nothing you do with your W-2 income. Virtually everybody's on the cash basis. When you earn income, it's taxable. But there are certain things that you decide when they're taxable. You decide when to cash in an annuity, typically. You decide when to pull money from an IRA account out. Now, there are requirements sometimes. It could be a product requirement on an annuity. It could be an IRS requirement, maybe requiring you to drain an inherited annuity over a course of five years, say. There are certain requirements, but knowing those rules and knowing that there are certain, the ones that, you know, the decisions you can make for taxation, you know, when to sell a stock, when to sell real estate, these are decisions you can make. And knowing the rules and, and having the right resources, the tax program, a, a CPA, accountant person, putting this together, running the what-if scenarios along with the financial advisor, then you can get a better outcome. And so one of the things I see in this industry is most financial advisors that I know 
don't really have access to the tax planning piece of this. And so a lot of decisions are made without the best advice, frankly, or or maybe you just don't have a financial advisor and you're trying to do this on your own. Well, maybe you can figure that out. Maybe you can't. And so that's, that's something we, we like to help people with because we do have that resource here uh, at the firm. And Brian, this conversation has proven why it's so important to work with a CPA who does comprehensive tax planning. It's just one of the seven roots that sustain wealth. If you want to see how deep your tax planning roots are or your other roots are, all you've got to do is go to Madrona Financial and click the Get Started button. When you do that, you'll fill out a couple of questions and uh, we will give you a call back and schedule an appointment to discuss how deep your financial roots are. Again, it doesn't cost anything, no cost, no obligation. Simply go to Madrona Financial and click on the Get Started button. Want more strategies that can help support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years? Well, stick around. We'll be right back with more Growing Your Wealth. Big trees fall when storms hit because they don't have deep enough roots. The same goes with your finances. Your quality of life depends on how deep your financial roots are today, tomorrow, and for years to come. If you want to learn how to design your retirement to last 30 plus years, then grab your copy of 7 Steps to a Successful Retirement by calling Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about what are buffered ETFs. Well, Brian, let's take it down and make it a little more simple by starting out with what are ETFs? A lot of people may not know what those are. It stands for exchange-traded funds. Yeah, they're basically very similar to mutual funds. Uh, A lot of people know what a mutual fund is. It's a big fund that has a collection of different investments in it, often stocks, or it could be bonds, it could be commodities, different things like that. But, you know, rather than buying, you know, the S&P 500 can be in a mutual fund. And rather than trying to buy shares of 500 different companies, you buy a share of that fund and you own a little piece of 500 different companies. So that's that's how that works. ETFs came on the scene along with mutual funds. ETFs uh, were somewhat different in that you're not buying someone else's capital gains as you are with a mutual fund. If it has embedded gains, you might be putting some taxable income on your tax return you weren't expecting. ETFs can trade intraday. Mutual funds cannot. ETFs tend to have lower fees than their mutual fund counterparts. And so a lot of the industry has moved away from mutual funds. Mutual funds generally have many different classes, and some of those classes have sales loads that are paid to the brokers that sell them, whereas ETFs don't have that. And so they're the preferred product solution for, certainly for advisors held the fiduciary standard, and that's why you're seeing a lot of ETFs on the scene. So Brian, when you add a buffer to an ETF, how does that change it? Well, it's not really adding a buffer to an ETF. A buffered ETF is a product that's been um, put out there, essentially. And they can come in the form of an ETF. And they don't really own stock. They're somewhat tied to the market, but they're what's called a derivative or a synthetic. A lot of the stuff that we invest in anymore isn't actually a hard asset. It's something designed to copy a market. So you might be buying into something that you get the return of whatever it is that its underlying index is, but it doesn't really own the index. (laughs) So I hate to throw that little wrinkle in here. But what a buffered ETFs, in theory, uh, I'll read something uh, here that was written about them. Buffered ETFs are funds that seek to provide investors with upside of an asset's return, generally up to a capped percentage, 
mm-hmm. while also providing downside protection on the first predetermined percentage of losses. Now, what that means is that you can buy a buffered ETF. Let's say it's on the S&P 500. And, and I'm going to ask you, Jeff, when I'm done with this, what this sounds like. Yeah. So on the upside, you don't get all of the return of the S&P 500, nor do you get any of the dividends. Mm-hmm. You get the return, the, the basic return of the S&P 500 up to a ceiling. On the downside, if the S&P 500, let's say we bought a one-year buffered ETF. On the downside, you may incur some loss, but they may absorb, say, the first 15%. So if the market's down 12, you lose nothing. If it's down 16, you lose one. What does that sound like, Jeff? Well, as you were describing that, it sounded a lot to me like a fixed index annuity where you get a part of the upside, but you've got a floor of zero. In this case, may not be exactly zero, but a lot like a fixed index annuity. That's, that's kind of how I see them. They aren't a fixed index annuity. However, they're designed to emulate a fixed index annuity in a couple ways. But if you kind of think of it this way, if you buy the stock market, let's say you buy the S&P 500, your upside is, and I'm, I'm going to compare the three, uh, S&P 500 investment, a buffered ETF, and a fixed index annuity. The S&P 500 index, if the market goes way up, you get that gain and you get the dividends. If it goes way down, you get all of that loss, okay? That's what you get. On the flip side, the fixed index annuity, they're designed generally for if the market is up, you get all of that increase without any dividends to a ceiling. And that ceiling is is not super high. For this example, well, I won't, I won't throw a percentage out there, but it's not super high, but it's a lot of people think it's high enough. And on the downside, you get a floor zero. You never lose any money. That's the key to the fixed index annuity. You can't lose money. You can only gain in a good year. Now, somewhere in between these two is where I'm going to stick my buffered ETF. Mm-hmm. So the buffered ETF has a higher ceiling than the fixed index annuity, but you can lose money. So let's say your buffer is 15% on the downside. I just said if the market's down, let's say it's down 25%, you'd lose 10. The fixed index annuity, you don't lose anything. And the stock market, you'd lose 25 because <laughs> you, you get all the loss. So it's kind of a, I'll throw it out there as a tweener. I hate to use that non-technical term on the show, but it kind of is. Yeah. And why would you do this? Because if you look at any study out there, any study will show a long-term investor in the stock market will outperform anything with any floors or, or any protection. It's called insurance. You know, generally speaking, most people, if they never paid any, any insurance in their lifetime, they'd end up with more money. But since we don't know what's going to happen, we like to carry insurance. We like to have home insurance and car insurance and medical insurance and all that stuff because we don't know what's going to happen. Same thing can be said about the markets. I'll I'll show you any study that says you're better off just putting your money in the market and leaving it all there long term. You'd come out ahead. But I don't have a crystal ball. Most people listening have some sense of I want some insurance when it comes to my money. That's why the insurance industry entered the financial advisory industry world because they can offer products that protect against loss and give you some upside. Buffered ETFs came along, same thing. It's about the behavioral science behind investing. Again, I could show you every graph that says put all your money in the market, but I hardly have any clients that want all their money in the market because they they want some insurance that they're not going to, something bad's not going to happen to their portfolio. So they look at these other products to add that level of insurance. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs about exchange-traded funds, ETFs, and buffered ETFs. Brian, what are some of the risks that come with a buffered ETF? Well, like any investment, there are fees. 
within the buffered ETF. If the market has a, a tragic year, your buffered ETF won't look that great. It'll look better than your S&P 500, but it won't won't look great compared to your annuity because it can suffer substantial losses. So you have to pick the right index for you with a buffered ETF. I mean, if you're following the S&P 500 in- index, that has a different risk factor than buffering some other index. And so you've got to understand that too. Every investment has risk. And so uh, when you're putting together your profile, because I, I was reading some articles about the buffered ETFs and they're saying, well, put your money in the market. Don't do that. You, you would be better off. And I'm like, well, yeah. But if you don't want all your money in the market, then what? And essentially, they're saying, well, buy, put it into bonds. I'm like, well, bonds were risky this last year, too. <laughs> they lost a lot of money, generally speaking. And so maybe that's not where you want your somewhat safer money because it wasn't safer. And so that's when you start looking at other things like the fixed index annuities, which are safe on the downside and can get you part of the increase of the market on the upside or the buffered ETFs. Again, it takes some of the risk off the table, but it's not for everybody. Not everybody should do them because, again, I'll I'll show you any graph that shows being in the market would have been better historically than a buffered ETF. But I got to account for people's risk. And so it's just another tool that we may or may not decide to use in our portfolios for a particular client. But it is a tool that we can use in the situation where they're saying, I don't want to take max risk. I want to take some risk. I don't want to put it into bonds. Okay, now now we might have a discussion about fixed index annuities and have a discussion about buffered ETFs or structured notes or private non-traded real estate investment trusts, equity debt, debt REITs, DSTs, those kinds of things. We have all these different tools we can use. This is just one of the tools that I uh, just kind of wanted to bring it up today just because they're, they're hard to understand. They're complicated and you should not just go out and buy a buffered ETF. If you want to look into it, talk with one of us about them. We can explain the benefits and detriments on these, what they are, and, you know, do, do a better job than I can do on the radio. Um, limited and talking on the radio, I cannot talk about fixed indexed annuity returns or buffered ETF caps or, or anything like that. I can talk about the floor. I'm not allowed to, uh, but we can in person uh, if you come and talk to one of our advisors. So if you have questions about ETFs or you think that an ETF uh, might be a good thing in your portfolio, of course, you would want to get in touch with Madrona Financial and get your complimentary no-cost, no-obligation financial plan, which will check how deep your financial roots are. You know, we're getting some storms here. We've had some pretty good ones here lately, and we're in a financial storm right now. How deep are your financial roots? Can they withstand another financial storm like we're in right now or if this storm escalates? Well, to find out, go to Madrona Financial and click on the Get Started button to check your financial roots. It'll only take you a couple of minutes, but the results could be surprising. Once again, it's madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Stay tuned for more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show you can't afford to miss. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth 
Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And this segment, we're going to be talking about expiring tax sunsets. And Brian, I want to get to that because I'm not looking forward to 2025 when some of these uh, tax programs expire. But before that, we were talking off the air about things that we can and cannot say. And I wanted to bring that conversation in on the air. We certainly have compliance people who tell us what we should or should not say. But beyond that, Brian, we really can't give specific advice, not only because we should shouldn't do it, but because we wouldn't do it because we really don't know you. That's exactly right. There are a lot of things that we talk about on this show, and then we always step back and go, it depends. Right. <laughs> we, we can't give investment advice, and you're right, we won't, because everybody's different, and they should be different. I hear too many people out there saying, you need to do this. I'm like, how do you know I need to do that? You haven't even met me. You're on TV or on the radio saying I need to invest in XYZ. No, you haven't had that discussion with me. There's a lot more to investing than just saying, okay, this is good. Everything else is bad. And there's a lot I can't say. The SEC doesn't allow us to say. We have compliance. Thank you, Nikki, for listening to this and (laughs) keeping us doing the right thing on here. Yeah. You know, for instance, you'll notice when I talk about fixed index annuities, I never talk about what the caps are on those products. I'm not supposed to. I can in person, but I can't on the air. I can't talk about caps on uh, life insurance. I can't talk about caps on buffered ETFs uh, from the last segment. I left that part out. There's a lot of things I cannot talk about. I can talk about tax law because I'm a CPA. So I can talk about tax law, but I can't give tax advice. Because I don't know your situation. And what I will always say on this show is bring your return in, have us look at it, or have us, you know, have a discussion with you. Because there's so much more to investing. And I just wanted to point that out. There are other shows, though, that I've heard on the radio, and they'll they'll talk about something for an hour and never say what it is. Yeah, right. You can say you're talking about annuities, because you are. You just won't use the word annuity, because you think it has a negative connotation. We talk about annuities on this show, pros and the cons. There's both to everything. And for someone who wants to protect their money or have guaranteed lifetime income, that's pro. For someone that wants to maximize returns when the market's good, that's not a pro of the fixed index annuity. So we talk about them. We use the word annuity. (laughs) We use the actual proper terms for things on this show because we are trying to do the straight talk, you know, on investing. But if you're sometimes wishing, I would say, well, what are those caps? Why don't you just say it, Brian? I'm not allowed to. I just want to let you know. Nikki Nikki won't let me do that. So (laughs) I'll blame it on Nikki. Now, it's the SEC, and they don't want us talking about products without full disclosure in person. And as you said, I mean, that's what angers me when people say things like, I hate annuities and you should too, or I don't like this, mm-hmm. or I like this. How do they know what's right for you? And that is the important thing at Madrona Financial is that there's no cookie cutter advice. There's no blanket advice for anything. It just depends. Brian, let's switch to the Tax Sunsets 2025. We've been enjoying some great things among them. I mean, I've been enjoying the standard deduction 2023. It's going to be $27,700 for a married couple. But what are some of the things that could be expiring with a sunset in uh, 2025 with Trump's tax cuts? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of changes that could happen. Uh, The first thing is that uh, tax brackets are going to go up for a lot of people. Anybody married couple with over $83,000 of taxable income, they're going to see their brackets go up to 25%, and then there'll be a 28% bracket. The 33% bracket kicks in a lot quicker than it used to. What's interesting is the 35% bracket doesn't increase, so it's really a middle-class tax increase. 
is what it is. And so that's one of the things we're going to see. You mentioned your standard deduction. That's going to lower by almost half adjusted for inflation. And so a lot of people are going to start itemizing deductions again because what happened with that big standard deduction, most people with one or $200,000 mortgages or whatever, once they filled out their form, they go, you know, standard deduction is more than my itemized deduction. I don't even have to bother with itemized deductions anymore. Well, a lot of things are going to change on Schedule A in 2025 unless they extend this. So, Brian, as you said, we've been enjoying, at least the middle class has been enjoying some of these tax cuts. Is there any chance that these tax cuts will be extended beyond 2025, do you think? Yeah, I think there's some chance because I don't think either party wants to be the party of middle class tax hikes or, you know, if they do nothing, that's what will happen by default. And so I I, I'm hopeful of that, that you know we, they would vote to extend it. But as it stands right now, they, they need money. And uh, this is, our, is on the books, so they may decide not to do anything. So some of the things we can do about it, there are a couple things, and I will mention some of the other changes here in a minute. But if you were considering a Roth conversion and converting taxable income in order to be able to grow your Roth tax-free going forward, it's always a good time to do that projection. And talked earlier on the show about moving taxable income from a high bracket year into a low bracket year and filling up the buckets that are in the lower tax rates. Well, if we already know the buckets are going to, you know, they're going to be at higher rates going in the future, you may not want to put off any Roth conversion plans. You may want to do that now, the next couple of years, while the rates are lower and you can get a better bang for the buck on a Roth conversion. As you said, Brian, there are some other changes that could be coming too, and among them is uh, charitable giving and estate and gift tax, right? Yeah, the estate tax exemption is going to be cut in half. Now, that affects very few people listening to this show because you'd have to have an estate of over $12 million for you to be affected if you have a properly updated will or living trust with certain provisions in it. If you don't, that's about $6 million. So if your net worth is over $6 million, uh, I got a little research project for you to do. Look at your will or living trust to make sure your credit, you know, have somebody look at that for the proper trust wording in there. And if it's above $12 million, you might want to take a look at uh, what you can do for amounts above that to avoid generationally taxed money from happening when you pass away. And so what some people do is they, they gift during their lifetime up to this high estate exemption that we have right now, knowing that once you've done it and taken advantage of that uh, for estate tax purposes, that's a done deal. You're grandfathered in, even if they reduce it later. So there are techniques. I won't go into that because, again, it's not affecting most people listening. Do not have $12 million, or maybe some do. I don't know. But certainly that is something that you want to look at with that in mind if you have that kind of net worth. So, Brian, we've been talking about personal tax and uh, sunsets here in 2025. Are there anything on the business side that we need to know about? Oh, yeah. There's other things that a lot of businesses have been enjoying the 20% reduction of taxable income, the QBI, Qualified Business Income Deduction, and that's going to be eliminated. So their taxes are going to go way up for small businesses. There'll be more alternative minimum tax paid in the future. Certain itemized deductions will be limited for certain taxpayers. Now, there's a couple of positive things tax-wise that are going to happen. The mortgage interest deduction, you can deduct uh, interest on debt up to a million instead of the current 750000 And you can deduct interest on up to 100000 of home equity debt 
They're going to bring back miscellaneous itemized deductions, which is just a lot of work to put on your Schedule A, but that's, yeah. you know, that's coming back. And if the standard deduction is low, well, now you got to pull out all those receipts at the end of the year that you didn't have to do because mm-hmm. of the high standard deduction. And when it's lowered, well, I'm going to deduct my mortgage interest, miscellaneous itemized deduction, charity taxes, maybe my medical, non-reimbursed medical expenses, all that kind of stuff. The $10,000 limitation on state and local taxes will be removed. Now, most people go, well, we don't really pay that in the state of Washington. Well, depending on what happens with capital gains, some people might. So uh, we'll see about that. That will help people, though, and certainly in California, which has a high state income tax, and in New York, people that are well off making a lot of money in those states will be helped by that. Although a lot of people are, that are well off are moving from those states to other states. And so uh, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, a lot of changes that are coming our way in the future, unless there's some legislative action to extend these tax cuts. Well, Brian, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, I mean, it came into being in 2017, was the largest overhaul of the tax code in about three decades. If nothing happens and this expires in 2025, I think you said this is really going to be an attack on the middle class. How do you think that this is going to affect the economy or is going to affect the market? What's going to happen in 2025 if all this does expire to the average listener? Well, we're getting used to uh, getting pay cuts. Uh, It's called inflation. It's called increased taxes. Those are all pay cuts. And uh, that means we have less money to spend on stuff we want to spend it on. If we're spending less money on goods and services and more is going to the government or to pay down debt, which isn't happening, by the way. (laughs) We say, oh, you increase taxes, you pay down debt. No, you don't. (laughs) They They just spend more. It's just what they do. And so, you know, I I don't think any of it's a good thing for the economy. So uh, in general, that's from a macro view. But from a micro view, uh, we're talking about you, the person listening to the show today. What can you do? Are there things you can do? Yes, absolutely. Planning, planning, planning always can be better than not planning. And so if you're working with us and we'll look look at your taxes, we'll look at your investments, we'll look at uh, your risk mitigation, we'll make sure that uh, you have a proper will or living trust uh, and work with an attorney to get those, of course. And we can we can help you through making good decisions uh, because the point of financial planning is planning is in the word. Right. Right. And, you know, the point of it is to do it and do it with people that understand all the nuances. And taxes are a huge nuance that a lot of people don't have a great understanding of. Yeah, and that's why it's so important, I think, to deal with an advisor such as Madrona Financial, who also has an expertise in taxes. I mean, many of the advisors are also CPAs. So tax advice, very important. And all I can say is hope for the best, but have a plan so that you can plan for the worst. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Glad you could join us again this week. Once again, if you're interested and seeing how deep your tax financial roots are or your other financial roots, simply go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. It'll only take you a couple of minutes, but it could be very enlightening to you as to how far your roots go and whether or not you can withstand a financial storm. Once again, Madrona Financial, click on the Get Started button. Brian, out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time. Most of all, I thank our listeners for joining us each and every week here on the radio. 
No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.